0: Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of dive shiurim, diving into the daf, where we take an in-depth look at one of the topics that has been brought up in the daf yomi study of the previous week. Uh, and this shiur, we're going to get back to that pattern and to that uh, regimen, uh, and take a look at something that appeared really in uh, the most previous, uh, most recent Dapim at the beginning of the tenth parak, parak hamatznia. And that is the role of intent and thought when it comes to chiyuve Shabbat, liability for violating Shabbat. Uh, we'll start by looking at several psukim uh, that are going to help guide us. The beginning of Parshat Vayakel, and this is something we looked at uh, in the introductory shi- uh, dive shuram to, to Shabbat, um, presents the um, introduction of um, Moshe's presentation to B'nei Yisrael about building the Mishkan with the preface about Shabbat. And there's a key word that appears here that I've highlighted on the page. And famously, um, The gematria that's mentioned in the Bavli, is 2, is 3, is 36, is 36 39, is all right, and then chesed amim te asem malacha. Very much for yelachem kodesh shabbat shabbatol nadunai kolosev yumat. Right, that's the definition of malacha. And then eish, the very next pasuk. It's a parsha p'tucha, so that's what I put on the next line. Very much shall called up and he is well more, and then the instructions regarding the mishkan. Uh, it is the juxtaposition of these things that partially is, the, is what animates the relationship and the analogy between Melechot HaMishkan and Melechot Shabbat, such that we identify they cooked spices for the Shevan HaMishkan, therefore you're not allowed to cook. Uh, they uh, carried the boards from wagon to wagon, therefore you're not allowed to carry, etc., it's also the connection of the word davar, which is not a common phrase outside of Sefer Dvarim. And even in Dvarim, it's not all that common. Uh, and zeh davar again, is uncommon. And those two relatively uncommon phrases coming in juxtaposition seems to end into us that uh, there is a connection between them. Okay, uh, one of the things that we looked at back of that in, in that opening series of shiurim was the role of intent and deliberation when it comes to malacha, which we learn from this Pasuk, again, about the Mishkan, when describing all of the artisans who were being summoned to do their um, their artful and, and thoughtful work, um, to work with masonry and with wood, seems to be intentional or well-thought-out work, And from there we get the notion of malachet machshevet asra Torah, that what the Torah prohibited on Shabbat was intentional actions. Now, on on a primary level, what that means is awareness of action, uh, which at the most basic level means that you actually are paying attention to what you're doing. Uh, on a secondary level, an awareness of the, impl- of the implications of your actions, like the fact that today's Shabbat, the fact that this action is prohibited, uh, and then we move up the scale from uh, what we call mitasek up to ones, up to shoge, up to mezid, uh, and then mezid Bahatraat. Okay, so that sort of sets the table for us. And now, in a specific area, we find this pasuk that's going to be referenced later on in the Mishnah, in something that we read uh, very recently, depending on what country we're in, either uh, this past Shabbat or in Eretz Yisrael, a week and a half ago, uh, we read about the uh, wagons that were distributed to the different Levi families. Merari got four of the wagons, Gershon got two of the wagons, and Kant got no wagons. Why? Because Avodat HaKodesh Aleihem, they are carrying the sanctified vessels, Bakatef Yisau, they carry them on their shoulders. We're going to see why that plays a role later on. But we're going to, that pasukah is going to come back to us in the third third of the Shio, really. Okay, so we started with the first Mishnah in, in Parak and HaMatzniyah means to bury something away. Now, when you bury something away, by definition, you are regarding it as having significance. If not, you'd throw it away, or you'd leave it out. The fact you're burying it means there's a double significance. A, it is something that you care about, and it's also something you care about to store for some reason right? So, ha Lazera u Let's say you bury something, either to plant it as a seed, or as a dugma, like uh, to show it as a model, perhaps the color, it's a coloration, you want to show its color to an artisan, say, this is the color that I want my uh, walls. or for healing. V'hotzion and then you carried it on Shabbat, chayav bechol shehu. You are liable at any amount. Now, let's back that up and see the context of what we mean. Of course, we are all familiar with this because we've been spending the last uh, 20 daf more or less in and out of this issue, but turn to the last page of the uh, of the handout, which we're not going to go in detail. The last page is simply the Mishnayot from the me- middle of Parak Zion all the way through um, the end of Parak Tet, which are almost exclusively, with a major tangent, almost exclusively devoted to one topic, and that is the amount of any particular item that if you carry it outside on Shabbat, you're liable. So if you have a mote of dust uh, in your uh, jacket pocket, and you walk outside on Shabbat, you're not liable. A mote of dust is insignificant. If on the other hand, you have uh, a full sandwich wrapped in a baggie, uh, and it's in your, in your jacket pocket, and you carry out, you are liable, because that's a significant thing. So what is significant? And so we start with the Mishnah that sounds familiar to us from what we just saw in the middle of the seventh parik. Uh source 19. We're going to look on a couple things on this page. V'od Klal Acher amru, after the Klal Gadol uh, that they mentioned about Shabbat, which is about what level of forgetfulness brings, what level of liability— there's another rule, which is kol anything that is fit for being buried away, in kamahu, and people generally bury things of that sort. Votziyoh Shabbat, and then you carry it on Shabbat, meaning that it wasn't necessarily buried, but something that would be buried away, would be squirreled away, would be hid, would be locked up, and people generally will take something of that minimal size and still regard it as important, and you carry it on Shabbat. But if it's not fit for being bar- squirreled away, and people generally don't bury something, it's insignificant. And you carry it on Shabbat, the only person who is liable is somebody who actually does bury it. And we're going to come back to that in our Mishnah. And then... The next thing that happens is hamotzi teven What's the shear of straw? The amount that fills the mouth of a cow. Atza kimlofi gamal amir tale etc. And it goes on to detailing all sorts of items and what is the minimal shiur for that? That if you carry less than that, that you are not liable. The entire eighth parak is devoted to a whole range of shiurim, and the end of the 8th paragraph, just as an aside, ends with a dispute about the smallest amount, uh, smallest shard of pottery for which you'd be liable in a famous machloka between Rabbi Yuda and Rabbi Meir, Meir and Rabbi Yossi. And Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi's disagreement is, then comes down to a utilization of a pasuk in Yishayahu, which says that ultimately Ashur is going to be destroyed and nothing will be, uh, be left of there, including even enough cheres lachtot eishmiakot, enough, enough uh, a shard of a pottery, enough to stoke a fire. And so therefore Remer says, that's the sheer Rabbi says, the rest of the pasuk says, that or to cur- cur- uh, to be able to hold any water. He says that's the minimal sheer And that leads to the tangent, which is the first half of Pirek Tet. Uh, in which we find all sorts of other halachot having nothing to do with Shabbat uh, that are alluded to in psukim. That's the that's the jumping off point. So at the end of Parakhet, we saw a machloket about a halachic disagreement about the minimal shear for pottery based on uh, based on allusions in a pasuk as to what the smallest amount of pottery that's significant is. And then Rabbi Akiva comes and says, How do we know that Abu hora? a an idol has the status of a nida when it comes to tuma, which means tumat masa, and there's different opinions about that. Then we know that a boat cannot be Makabal Tuma based on a Pasuk and Mishle. Then we know that uh, a flower, a a vegetable bed that is a minimum a particular size that you could plant five different things in it, not violate kilayim, based on a pasuk in Yishayahu. Then, how do we know polet at a famous discussion about Matan Torah and the three days that the men separated from the women before Matan Torah, and that leads to the whole series of agadot about Matan Torah. Then, how do we know that you're allowed to use hot, warm water to wash a baby on the third day of his milah, it was on Thursday, Shabbat is the third day, Based on the pasuk about shrem then how do I know that that there was a minhag to tie the the red uh, band in uh, the head of the sari mishdaleach based on the pasuk in sheol, if your sins be red as scarlet, etc. And then the last one is how do we know that anointing yourself is considered like drinking on Yom Kippur, based on a pasuk in Tehilim. This is all a tangent from the end of Perakchet, which is about shurim and then the rest of Perak. Tet is about shiurim, how much wood, how much uh, pepper, how much, uh, how big of a, bo- much of a box of spices, etc., all the way through to the end of Perik Tet, which takes us to our Perik. Now, that's an important piece of background to what we're going to do, because what our Mishnah says, we're going to go back to it now. Source four on the first page is tells us that if you personally Take an item which is smaller than the minimal shiur, at least of these items, of let's say seeds, and you bury it away for a particular purpose, and then you carry it on Shabbat, your chayav even at a minimal shiur, kolshu. V'chol adam But anybody else is only liable for that same item that you buried away, is only liable if they carry the shiur. Now, chazar v'yichniso, let's say that you yourself took it out on a Tuesday, and then you put it back without any particular intent. Then you're only chayav if you carry it kashir. So you have this tiny little thing that you put away and said, I'm going to use this to show the decorator what color I want my walls. And then you took it out and showed it to him, and you put it back without any particular intent. And it's way less than the shiur. If you then carry it on Shabbat, even you, the person who originally put it away, is not liable. All right, good. So the Gemara discusses this. And right away, the Gemara, we're taking a look at the Bible here, it says, Why do we have to have a matznia? Why do we have to have somebody who buries it away? Why can't we just say, if you carry something for one of these purposes, then you're Chayav at any amount, because you've made it important. You don't have to bury it and take it out. So Amar Abaye Abayah says, He creates an Okimta, Kugon Snio, You put it away and you forgot why. Now you take it out without any particular stated intent. I might think that your original intent is now lost. And the reason I would think that is because in the case in the Mishnah, where there's a second time you took it out, it is lost. If you originally put it away with an intent to use it for something very minuscule, meaning that minuscule amount was significant to you, and then you carried it out, you're Khayab. But if you took it out, let's say on a different day, and then put it back without any stated intent, it's lost its significance. And now, unless it's kashir, you're not chayyav. So Abaye says, I might have thought to apply the same thing the first time you put it away, if you forgot why you put it away and took it out without any special intent. That's why the Mishnah talks about hamatzniah to tell me, the minute I put it away like that, I've already given it intent, which is subjective. And that's what the entire focus of the shiur is. Subjective intent defining halachic reality. All right? And so therefore, what's the kamashvon? Abaye says, kol ha'oseh dat oseh. Anybody who acts is acting based on their first intent, which means when you state an intent at the beginning of a process, that intent defines the rest of the process unless you explicitly state differently. But Bistam, without anything being stated, that first intent carries you through. Okay, I want to take a look at Ba here because it's going to help define our where we're going. Uh, Rashba's comment, ben uh, Benadrat, 14th century Spain, um, commenting on our Mishnah, on, uh, on the beginning of the Gemara. He, he defines the question on the Gemara. He says, even if you didn't originally give it an intent by bearing it, the minute you picked it up to carry it, you made it important by picking it up to carry it. Alright, and then he says the following, This is only true if you pick it up for one of the things mentioned in the Mishnah, like to plant it, or to show it as a model, or for uh, for medicinal reasons. Nobody generally takes the trouble to to bury one tiny little seed to plant one little seed, right? And now going to the next highlighted piece. However, if you take it out for achilah, but. If you were to take something for eating, no, it we're gonna blow past your intent. You want the tiniest little speck of something, you yourself are not chayav, even though you made it important because you buried it away. You don't want anybody to get that one little half m M&M, and you put it away and then you carry it on Shabbat. Then, um, less than a Kagrogrit, which is the minimal size for most foods, um, you're not chayav which is interesting, we're making an interesting split, and we're going to see, not everybody agrees with this approach to the rashbah and, and therein lies the crux of the, dis- of the discussion. Okay, um, and the rashbah proves it from the following, uh, that uh, on the next daf, which we've already seen in our daf yomish here. by Rava. Rava asked an interesting theoretical, sort of conceptual question. Let's say you took out a half grogret of food, for planting, which according to our Mishnah now is going to be enough if you took it out for that, vitfacha, and then while it was in your hands, it got bigger. You know, there was some, it was fermented, whatever. And now it was a kirogrit. v'nimlach and then you changed your mind, you said, you know what, I'm going to eat it. Mahu, meaning, do we look at right now, right now you intend to eat it, and right now it's the size of an eating thing and you're carrying it. On the other hand, right now it you wanted to eat it, and its original size, when you took it out, was too small to be chayav for eating. So he says, the very fact that the question is asked, it's only if this thing got bigger. But think about this. If you take out this half Krugogurat little piece of food, intending to plant it, which means you'd be chayav, and you changed your mind and you said, I'm going to eat it, by definition, you are going to be patur. And he said, therefore, the only question was, if in the meantime it grew to bigger than a shir, then you might be chayav. Which means that no matter what your intent is, even though you, you consider it important, unless it's for one of these three things, zera, dugman, refuah, then you're not chayav. Which means the power of your subjective intent to give something insignificant significance is limited to specific things which people occasionally actually do, which means you're not really being an absolute iconoclast, an absolute outlier by doing this behavior. Okay, keep that in mind. Uh, this is an approach taken by others shown in the Rosh. just says it very clearly. Okay, back to the Gemara. We said in the Mishnah that a regular person is only chayav if they carry the right amount. Now, we said to Lo ben elazar. And we're going to find that this bright of Shimon al Azhar is dealt with differently in the Bavli and the Ushalmi. And they're in like sort of a parenthetic, uh, interesting avenue to explore briefly. He says that Amishnah does not follow Shimon al Lazar. Why? The Tanya column of Rishimon al Lazar. Rashim al had the following rule: Call kasher Anything which is not fit for putting away, which means it's too small. People generally don't bury it away. But this guy considered it important and he buried it away. And another guy comes and takes it out. The second guy who carries it is liable because of the first guy's intent. In other words, according to Meshim Ben-Alazar, what happened is the first guy who was the outlier who decided that one little seed is important. I'm going to go plant one little seed. And therefore, he put it away. Another guy who doesn't have that intent carries that seed. That seed is important, and that seed, the second guy is chayav for also because of the first guy's intent. Our Mishnah clearly says differently. Our, clearly, our is not like Shimon Alazar. Watch the language in the Talmud Yerushalmi. One guy buried it. Another guy carried it out. He's the second guy's patur. Shimon Lazar Mikhayev. All right, now watch this. Ma'anan kayamin. what's the case? Where do Rabbi and disagree? So the Rishalmi says something here that Bavli didn't go in this direction. It says, If when the second guy took it out, what he was doing was he was saying, I'm taking out it for my purposes, which is insignificant, then for sure everybody will agree is patur. And this is remarkable. If the second guy takes it out and says, I'm taking it out per the first guy's intent, he is chayav. Because he is deliberately riding coattails on the first guy's intent. The Babli wouldn't go this far. Our situation where Roshim and Allah Disagree is only a case of stam, which means unstated intent. Rabban Amri said the assumption is when a person carries something, if he doesn't state otherwise, he's carrying it for his own reasons. And his own reasons is different, or different than the first guy's reasons. <speaking in> Shmuel <Spanish> says, "No, when a guy carries something out, he is trying to complete an action taken by another guy, and therefore he's riding on that first guy's intent. And so, therefore, the Yushalmi, unlike the Bavli, splices this disagreement right down the middle and says what they're really disagreeing about is only a case where the second guy took it out and he did not state differently." That he, is, that he is creating a new intent. al Lazar says, therefore, the assumption is that he's just continuing the first guy's action. Okay, again, an interesting thing in a parenthesis. We close the parentheses and continue. Now, um, the Bavli continues. Amar of Yir, Shmuel. Mechayev haya Rabbi Meir, chita achat Rabbi Meir agrees Mayor, the author of Mishnah agrees that if you, even if you take one little wheat kernel out to plant it, that you're chayav. Remain the author of Mishnah, and the Gemara says pshita. That's that's a no-brainer. After all, tanan, The Mishnah says kolshu, kolshu always means any tiny little amount, the smallest amount. So the answer is ma'u de kolshu lafu kemi grogarot. I might think that kolshu just means it has to. Be, it doesn't have to be a whole it, a dried fig. Ella Leolama adik At least has to be a Kazayan. Kamash Malan, therefore, Shmuel is teaching that, according to a even a tiniest little size is significant. Okay? Now watch this challenge. Matki av Yitzchak. Yehuda. So Rabbi Yehuda's son challenges this statement. Remember who said the original statement? Ravi Yehuda, according to Shmuel. Ela me'ata, based on this, based on what? We'll have to see. But based on this thinking, Let's say you intended to carry in one shot everything in your house out. In other words, you're going to bundle everything, all of your possessions, put them into a big bag, and carry that bag out. Then you wouldn't be chayiv if you didn't take it all out at once, which means you're telling me that your intent helps define shiurim. So the first thing is he pushes that in the other direction. He says, what we've seen in the Mishnah is that your intent can define Shirim down and say that there is a smaller shear than the minimal shear that will count because you've defined it that way. He goes the other way. He says, perhaps if your intent is to carry a large item, if you end up carrying a small item, or shall we say, you intend to carry five items together, and then you change your mind and you carry only one of them at a time, maybe you're not chayyav, even though each one of those items is huge because you didn't do what you intended to do. And the Gemara's answer is curious as, There, something like carrying your entire house out at once is such a preposterous notion, such an unlikely notion, and this is critical, such a unique notion, meaning nobody else does it that way, that therefore your intent is batel, is, is negated, is nullified, relative to everybody else. Now, we're going to see this notion come up again later on in the shiur, and then we're going to have to play one against the other. So the question is, what are the boundaries here? Do we say that uh, carrying a tiny little item of any sort is going to be significant, even though nobody else would do it, and we don't employ empl- employ la d'ato to adam, in which we have to say, well, why do we employ it when we're talking about a huge thing, but not about a small thing? Or do we say that applies everywhere? And the only reason that very, very small things could become significant if you gave them significance is because they're things that a lot of people consider significant. Not enough to make it normative, but enough to make it possible. Perhaps. And this, again, is the question of the reach of your intent. Okay, so we see Tosvot and the Rashba right on this spot. Comment, and the comment somewhat in parallel. Um of Yitzchak Pirish Pakuntris, the Parikh Abaye, Al Rashi doesn't have this, but both Tosfot and, and the Rashba indicate that Rashi said that this question, this challenge was against Abaye's earlier comment that we saw um, that we saw in Source 5, um, who said that uh, that the issue was a guy buried it and he forgot why and then he took it out, so the Chidush is that uh, that, that first intent carries through. Um, and he says, So he said, "Why did the Gemara wait till now to challenge Abaye and first introduce Shmuel with Remeir's thinking about the the Rabbi Omer Porat, Shmuel, Avu Aparich. Yitzchak, Rabbi Yehuda is asking on his father, challenging his father, not Abaye. He said, Since you said that even one wheat kernel, you chayav for in regilut, even though that's abnormal, that's unusual, because we allow this guy's intent to drive the day. This should be the same thing. When the guy intends to carry all of his household belongings out in one shot, that should be defined. Anything less should be less than a shear. Because after all, you're saying, this one little seed is important to me, so we're going to say your chayav. So we can now say that all of my possessions together are important to me. If I don't have all of them, then I'm not happy about it. And it's not chashuv And that's what the challenge is. What the answer is, is that your in, your intent or your idea is nullified relative to everybody else. There is no person who would consider that less than their full household is insignificant. That just their... Um, their laptop, just their uh, washing machine, just their dishes are significant. nobody thinks they're insignificant. And by the way, if you think of it definitionally, they're all significant because that's why carrying them all out is significant. In other words, the problem with going in both in the in the direction of expanding the shear is that an expansion of a shear is a lot of shearing put together. Making it going smaller makes a lot of sense because, we're saying that even though for, for everybody else this is insignificant, for me it's significant. But to say that that for me less than this is significant isn't true because what I'm carrying out is an accumulation of a lot of significant things. In any case, that's how he parses it. Um, but here there are some people, and this is critical, who think that one kernel of uh, of, of wheat is significant i just draw your attention to the Rashba, who says something uh, similar. Um, but uh, at the end, he adds something in that's, that's of significance to us. The third line from the bottom. Meaning that guy who's intending to carry his whole household out does not have the power. He can't de-significai, signif- can make, he cannot, de-emphasize the significance, okay, of something that everybody else considers significant. He redefines batlat datto adam. Tosford says as follows, batlat adam means that nobody would consider that only some of these items are in, in, uh, insignificant. He says a little bit differently the Rashpah. He says that you don't have the power to make something insignificant, which is significant to everybody. But, to make something which nobody else considers significant significant for you, to say, I'm going to worry, but that's something I'm going to work for, even though everybody else would ignore it, that you could do. Because really, this shiur is maybe important to everybody, but, you know, we don't... We don't spend our time worrying about it. You devote your time to it. And we see this something by the way, always in life. We certainly see items that seem to be insignificant to most people. But, you know, it's a particular uh, 45 record from uh, the first record you ever bought when you were a kid, or it's a particular baseball card that you had, or a particular movie poster or something like that, which to other people means nothing. And, uh, you know, that's why we have eBay. Uh, and, and for certain people, it, it means the world. But as an, as an objective value... So an objective value today is the marketplace. But uh, we understand how that could be. But we certainly understand the Rashba's position, which is you don't have the power to de-emphasize the significance of something that everybody else considers significant, like your laptop or a washing machine or a desk, just because they're not your whole everything in your household. Okay. We turn the page. We t- we'll take a look at the Rambam. We'll see how the Rambam uh, defines it. After listing the Shi'urim of caring. He says in source twelve, this is in Yod Chet of Shabbat Chaf Chafal of Chafbet. He said, "When do we say that you're only liable if you carried the minimal amount? That's if you carried it out without any stated intent. Aval. Now notice he rewords the Mishnah. He doesn't say Hamotzi Luzera Dugma. If you carry it out to plant for medicinal reasons or to show a model." like the color, or anything of that sort, a nice pregnant phrase, Then you're liable at any amount. And then he goes to our Mishnah. So the Rambam, in his classic, elegant, structural way, first says, here's the halacha. You carry something out for one of these purposes that's less than a shear, you've made it important by carrying it out. However, as opposed to inadvertently carrying it, you've deliberately done it. And then he goes to our Mishnah, if you buried something away for that, you stored it away for that, and you forgot why you put it there, and you took it out without saying anything, you're still liable at a minimal shear, any amount. He's following exactly the way the Gemara said it about Remeir that it's the, in a baye, the, the first intent nobody else is liable unless they carry the Shear against from Shimon al Alright, and now he goes on and to take a look at Chafbet, and this is critical. Adam something that people generally don't bury away. and is not fit for being buried away. If a guy does bury it away, he is Khayav. Okay, so that means that something which would be of substance, which is something that nobody else would want to bury away, but this guy does, he is liable for carrying it, which means it could expand beyond the three things mentioned in the Mishnah. Okay, now the Mishnah in here, again, one of the Nosei Kelim on the Rambam, um, gives us the following right? Mishnah, Perish he quotes a Mishnah, And then in the second line, He said, The intent of the Mishnah and the intent of the Rambam is not that anything you bury away your Chayav. Min Chayav. If you squirreled away a tiny little bit for eating, then you'd be Chayav. This, by the way, evokes stories that we know from the camps of people who would. Uh, I have an elderly friend. Who uh, shared with me that in the camps every day she would take a tiny little crumb of the bread she got and bury it away so that on Shabbat she'd have a little extra and thus be Mechaved Shabbat. An amazing story. Uh, but that means you could put away something far less than a Kogrogerit for food. And the Mishnah says <speaking in Hebrew> that this intent is nullified relative to standards. Right? <speaking in Hebrew> The only case where matzniya is chayav is, is these three things that are listed. He says the reason that these three things typically need an amount is because it's uncommon. So if you buried it, you're chayav. You made it important. Here you cannot say right? Some people do bury away things of that of that amount. Uh, maybe a doctor does, maybe a craftsman does uh, to be able to have a dugma. Again, it doesn't have to be burying on the ground. All right. He says it's clear as day, one hundred percent, no question, that if you bury any of anything for a purpose besides those three and it's less than a sheer but la you are patur meaning the power, your power to make something less than a sheer significant is limited to those three things and in a sense it doesn't even exist because those three things already are ready to become significant inherently and all you have to do is kind of touch them to make them significant all right and therefore because if that weren't the case, then it should just, just say, HaMatzniah less than a shi'ir y'chayav. Why list in our Mishnah these three things? Okay? And, um, and he quotes Tosodot, it says it. We saw that the Rashba says the same thing. All right, interesting. Let's go to 12th century Italy. In 12th century Italy, Rabbi of the town of Trani, which is a great Torah center, says the following. And this is where we're going we're gonna to take this. HaMatzniah lezer lezer le chayav alav kol shu. All right, that's the Mishnah. That's the Mishnah. Perush, call Ha Ochlin that none the Shiran can grow grit. When he learned that all foods the Shir is can the size of a dried fig, he made snia man lizera ul dugma laharot lelokeach. Right, you you bear it away for seed or as a dugma to show it to let's say somebody who's gonna buy sheperod kaela teim lachad say you know this is the kind of fruit I'm gonna give you or lefuah chayav laav b'chol Okay, by burying it away you made it important and this is the critical part even if you buried it away just for eating the case that I talked about let's say it's a brand new fruit and you buried this tiny little fruit away a tiny little piece of fruit for a baby even though there's less than grogaret even though there's less than grogaret the read disagrees The Tulsa, disagrees with the Mishnah Melk, disagrees with the Rashba, and says this will apply to anything. Anything that you put away, no matter how small, the very fact that you stored it, that you secured it, that you buried it, means it, it has shiur, and that gives you the power to redefine it, at least as far as for you are, you're concerned, not the other guy carrying it. Again, we don't accept Hashimah Allah's position. Okay? Now, that means that the reed, and it's the reed's opinion that we're going to be focusing on here, the reed says, The notion of bat la da'ato etzel kol adam, your intent is nullified relative to everybody else, does not apply here. And therefore, if you're the only guy in the world who would bury away a tiny little piece of a cherry to give to somebody, the fact that you buried it away means it now is kashir. All right. That's not such a terrible idea, not such a hard idea to accept perhaps, although so we have to explore a little further in how the power of your intent is, but it'll become difficult when we take a look at our second sugya here. Our second sugya, which is the third Mishnah in Hametzinah, it's very convenient, it tells us the following, whether you carry something with your right hand or your left hand, under your arm, you carry it on your shoulders, and now notice, regarding only the last thing carrying on your shoulders, they bring a Pasuk, Shaken Masa Vine Kahat. That is how Bine Kahat carried the Aron, etc. Now, what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is seemingly the carrying on your shoulders may be socially an uncommon thing in the time of the Mishnah. I'm not sure it was, but evidently it was considered to be uncommon because they wouldn't need this proof. But as we take a look in the um in the Ramaman's Peirush from in source 16. He says, b'nei kahat the, the Bnei Kahat carried the aron on the sh- with the shoulders, Hashem avoda. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu referred to it as avodah. This gets us back to the opening part of the Shiur. That Mullachheta Mishkan, the worship in the Mishkan and the work for the Mishkan helps define Malachet Shabbat. Shinawani quotes the pasuk, Avodat Akorashaleamba Katefisau. That's b'nei kahat. And so therefore, since carrying it on the shoulders is not just an incidental thing, it's actually called part of their labor, part of their service, if you will, therefore, by definition, carrying something on your shoulder is considered to be a normal way of carrying, even if it's not the normal way of carrying. The right hand, the left hand, and under the arm, those are normal ways of carrying. And then go back to the Mishnah, after the blue highlight. Kelachar you carry something on the back of your hand. Baraglo, carry something with your feet. Befiv, in your mouth. Marpeko, in your elbow. Beozno, in your ear. Saro, in your hair. Pundato, pi if you have a money belt but the the opening is down. Bein punato between your money belt and your garment. or in your hem. Bein in your shoe. besandalo in your sandal. Patur. All those things. If you carry something in a weird way, in an unusual way, then you are exempt. You do not carry in the normal way that people carry which means that the Mishnah is defining. In order to be chayav, let's start with it. You have to carry something. We've spent a lot of time in the first parak talking about, and we're going to do it again in the next parak, in the 11th parak, and parts of Eruvin defining in what kind of an area you'd be liable for carrying, or from Rishut Achid to what kind of an area. How do we find Rishut Rabim? Okay, fine. What item do you carry? What level of intent? You have to know that you're carrying it. You have to intend to carry it. Okay. And what kind of an item? Good. So, for all the different items, there's a shear. You carried kashir. What happens, though, if you carry something knowing it's Shabbat, knowing the item, uh, that you're having a significant, knowing that you're carrying, uh, the item is significant, it's the right size, but you carry it on your elbow. You carry it balanced on your nose. You carry it um, uh, somehow kicking it around. You're not chayav. Well, kicking it may be a little different if it's a ball, but something that normally is carrying the hand and you're carrying it out between your knees or something, you're not chayav. Why? Here's the phrase. Shalom hotzi keder hacham You do not carry in the way that people normally carry, which means not only the item, but the, the action, the the method of the malacha has to be in a normal way. That's why there's discussion about if you wrote on Shabbat with your left hand, of the liability. You're doing it in an unusual way. And that's why we often will talk about that in certain exigent circumstances to do something with what we call a shinui. In other words, when from sometimes for Cholashin bel and other circumstances like that, we'll say do it in an unusual way. Hit the elevator button with your elbow instead of your hand. Something of that sort. Right. So um, that's... And, and notice that when an individual... And there's no there's no uh, room given here for the individual who who uh, likes to balance things on his on his chin uh, to say well you know for me that's my derech and therefore he'd be liable. Now watch this question that comes up this statement that comes up and it gets twisted three times until it, it's correct uh, twice till it's correct. Amarav mishum rabbi chia, so rav quotes his uncle rabbi chia. If you carry something out on your head on Shabbat, Chayav Chatat. Now, as much as we have this exotic picture of women with baskets on their head, it still was considered to be an unusual way to carry. So, what's his explanation? There's a town in Babel ba- called Hotel, and the people in ba- Hotel carry it that way. So the Gemara immediately attacks this and says, I they the majority of the world they define the minhag. So if I carry something like that in Afula or Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, I'm chayav because guys in some loch and bavel carry it that way with, with uh from all the people from hotel. If the statement was made, here's how it was probably made. And as we're saying, we didn't hear the statement correctly. Let's we didn't record it correctly. Here's how it should be recorded. Amarav mishum echan mi bnei hotel masuyal rosho chayav. If a person from that town carries, because that's the way they carry there, then he's chayav shekein b'nei ro That's how the people do it in this town. And we challenge that again. Why isn't his approach negated, nullified, relative to the rest of the world that doesn't carry that way? So notice we've gone to 180. We've started by saying the entire world might be liable for carrying on their head, because in one town they do it that way. Then we've gone to saying, okay, that doesn't work, but maybe the people in that town are liable because that's their local way of caring. And now we've gone full circle, to say, half circle, to say that even in that town you're, you're exempt because the rest of the world doesn't do it that way, and your town's strange way of caring, unusual, uh, different way of caring, is negated, is nullified relative to the rest of the world. Here's how it should be read. Hamatsui masui al rosho patur. If you carry something on your head, you are exempt. and if you want to challenge, but there's the people in Otel who carry it that way, which means either you'd say it is a normal way to carry, we be or at least it's normal for them and they should be But their approach is nullified relative to everybody else. In other words, one town has this custom of doing it; nobody else does. Therefore, the whole world, including in Hotel, Hutzah, is exempt, right? And you see, the Rambam help put helps put a spin on it in source eighteen. So the Rambam says something significant here. Always significant but for our purposes if you carry something in your head which is something that's heavy like a full bag or a box or uh, some sort of a, a uh, like a, like a cage or something and you the kind of thing you put on your head and then you put one hand up to hold it, then you're chayav. why and that's how people carry things like that it's like carrying it on your shoulder or in your hand. you're new doing the normal way. Let's say you took a light thing. Not a great idea to put a knife on your head, but you put a book on your head, you put some sort of garment on your head. And you're not, not even holding it with your hand. Why? You didn't carry in the normal way of carrying. So People don't generally carry small things like that on their head. Okay, so that's the Rambam. Now, here's the question that I want to pose: Since we saw in the uh, so end of source 17 a principle that we also saw in the Rashba and the Tosvot relative to carrying small things out for other purposes, a principle of Batlad Datan Itzol Adam, which is that if you uh, and and the Gemara said it relative to the issue of the of the larger shear of carrying your whole house out which means that if there's a standard that is normal in the world and you do something in an unusual way, that doesn't make it a standard. It doesn't make it a standard even for you because the fact that the rest of the world doesn't do it that way means what you're doing is just unusual. It's not a new standard. And it doesn't have halachic impact to change the shiur. Uh, So let's go look back at the read who says, if I take food and I bury it away for any purpose— no matter how small, I've made it significant, and therefore I am chayab. Now, the reed certainly will agree that if you carry something on your head, you're patur, even though you're carrying it on your head, because that's not the way people normally carry it. So why the distinction? And I think the distinction, the answer to that, actually lies in page 3. If you remember, on page 3, I listed the Mishnayot that talked about the Shurim for caring, food wood, spices, pottery, you name it, ink, all sorts of things. What's the minimal shiur? The very fact of those mishnayot, the very fact that for everything there is a shiur, and the shiur is different, there's not a standard shiur across the board for things, tells you the following. When it comes to the object, what is considered to be a normal act of caring when you carry an object that's worth carrying, where carrying is a significant act, where it's not incidental, like a couple of, of, uh, uh, like a, a, a torn piece of a candy wrapper in your pocket, where it's something that's significant. That significance can happen in one of two ways. It can happen because there is what we might call a circumstantially objective significance, meaning for this particular item, across the board, people consider Two ounces to be enough to be worth their while, worth their while to uh, go back and get it from the, the uh, from the storekeeper if they didn't get uh, if they if they got two ounces short. One ounce might not be enough, or enough to discuss a price about, or enough to to uh, to when they get home and they pour it out if there's that much left to store it and not just to say it's all done, whatever it might be. That's a circumstantially objective standard. However, because there is this wide range, well, how do we deal with the individual who says, for me, the smaller amount is important for my livelihood, because of my own emotional thing or sentimental things, or because of an exigent need that I have right now? How do we deal with that? So the we are divided. <clears throat> they say either, and I'm going to start with the Tosfat and the Rashba, I take the position that says that says, the only way that you can render significance to something smaller is if you're latching into something that is recognized by society as being significant. Everybody in the world can understand why in 1974 Steve Garvey would be important to you. They might not consider it important to them, but they can understand it. People grow up, people are baseball fans, people collected baseball cards, people had baseball cards that they lost, and they, you know, they want to have it for their collection. Understood. Right, <clears throat> but um, and so the, and we understand that from the very fact that there is such a wide range of she'erim for caring, as we saw in those three prakim of Mishnayot, that, that the Shear which makes something significant has a certain um, uh, variable kind of component to it. And therefore, you have the ability to do that. Tosat and Raspa's position is, but the only way you can do it is if you're linking into something that is commonly recognized. We all recognize that somebody may want to plant just one seed or may, somebody may want to have a small thing there to show, um, to show somebody else, say, this is the kind of work I can do for you. But nobody would do such a thing like that for eating. That's just crazy. And therefore, you can't, you can't give it that kind of significance. The reed takes it one step further. The reed says, the very fact that the shiurim that are given for caring is such a wide range and is so explicated with every item means that shiurim are essentially about granting significance to something. And the significance can be granted not only by uh, society at large and not only by a community, but even by the individual. To me, that, that amount is important. And even for eating. And therefore, the fact that I buried it away automatically gives it significance. And think about Rabbi Shimon Lazar. Rabbi Shimon Lazar picks up on this idea and says the very fact that this item carries significance because the guy who buried it said, This is not a piece of coal, this is a diamond. This is not just a little piece of paper, it's a lottery ticket. In other words, even though it looks to everybody else as if it's insignificant, it is significant. But it's significant maybe to me. Therefore, Shemana Wazir says, when the second guy picks it up, intending to continue his first intent, he's picked up an item that has gained diamond status as a piece of coal, that has gained lottery ticket status as a little receipt. And therefore, the reed says that could be for anything. And that doesn't have to be limited to the three things in the Mishnah. The three things in the Mishnah were just examples. So what we've seen over the course of the last 50 minutes is we started with some sukim, to, ta- to see the significance of the Mishkan, the role of machshavah intent in defining hachot Shabbat, and then we saw in our Mishnah in Hamatznia how an individual's intent can really uh, grant significance to something that objectively is insignificant. Uh, and then we, we explored how far that can go, and at what point do we say that you're rendering something significant is is immaterial because it's such an outlier kind of action that it's that it's nullified relative to the rest of the world. And that is, <laughs> we then saw that exact idea expressed in the context of how one carries, and that we're all on board with the carrying on your head is insignificant, because it's just nullified relative to the rest of the world, if it's the type of item that is normally carried in your hand or in your pocket. Um, and then we, but we saw the machloket between the Tosfut and the rashpa on the one hand, and the Reed on the other hand, as to whether granting significance to a small item by bearing it away or secreting it away uh, can, is limited to the three things mentioned in the Mishnah, because there there are some people in the world who do that, and you're simply locking in to that position or whether it applies to everything because you don't need a lock in opposition, position because significance can be granted by the individual, thus making the minimal shiur significant enough. And uh, in the next shiur, we're going to go into a different angle also from the previous weeks, uh, meaning this coming weeks, dapim, uh, uh, relating to uh, um, to the normal way of doing things and the abnormal way of doing things and how that plays out halachically. I wish you have a wonderful week.